Welcome to Intimate Interactions, where we discuss ways we share intimacy with our fellow humans. Sex, kink, non-monogamy, love, relationships, gangbangs, no intimacy topic is too taboo. Let's talk. Huge thanks to my outstanding Patreon supporters for making this possible. If you want the ad-free version, go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon to unlock premium content, including every episode of the back catalog, as well as a weekly podcast moving forward. Don't forget that you can also go to intimatepodcast.com, check out how to add the podcast there to your various devices, and you can click become a patron. Thanks so much for your support. It is greatly appreciated. Van dwelling is for some a matter of necessity. For others, it's a choice. What is it? Living in your vehicle. In some communities, housing is quite expensive, Vancouver being one notable example. In some lives, being functional long enough to produce the employment opportunities and or funds to pay rent is quite challenging. Some organizations count van dwellers among the homeless, yet why then would some affluent folks choose this lifestyle? One person who's chosen this lifestyle is Selena, an educated former junior engineer who currently works as a sex worker at an agency. If you missed that episode, I interview her about her sex work earlier in the series. She's pleasant, smart, and soft-spoken. Uh, apologies in advance for the background noise. Sex work to her has nothing to do with why she chooses to be a van dweller, so why then is she so passionate about this lifestyle? Let's find out here on Intimate Interactions. Oh, this is fun. It's kind of just like hanging out with a friend for the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's how I try and hold all my sessions is more <laughs> of like a hangout. And then this is, like I said, the easy part. The hard part mm. becomes uh, the hard part becomes advertising and trying to market and have any semblance of being paid back for the costs that I put into the podcast. And mm -hmm. hopefully one day it won't be about that and it'll just be about like... I don't know, making enough to survive. And then we'll see where it goes from there. <laughs> but it would be nice to earn something off of yeah, the podcast for all eventually. The work that you do. It's, it's a lot too. I don't think people realize how much time goes into posting the videos, paying for hosting. Um, mm. I don't think a lot of people like see that even just queuing up all the, the notifications on Hootsuite so that people see posts on Facebook and Twitter that are like, hey, come check out the podcast, this episode's out now, go get it while it's hot, like, all those kinds of notifications. I recently just cut back from three days a week to two days a week, because I'm like, I don't want to advertise excessively at people, I just want people to be aware of when stuff's happening. Oh, the social media thing. It's a whole component Ugh. to learn on your own. It's like, there's so much work to, like, not get you on the computer as much as you can, mm -hmm. right, because we know all the science and, and how you're just, like, so much more peaceful when you're not attached to electronics. I mean, and that then, makes like, sense. When, and then there's the whole, like, work of, like, you need to be on it all the time so that you can keep updating social media and, like, be relevant in the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And even just so that people, when they go on their social media every day, as people do, they see, oh, right, there's that podcast I was mm -hmm. listening to. And then they can go and check out your stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you really believe that what you're making is valuable, and hopefully to at least some people this podcast is, um, then you put out the notifications, like, you put in the work, and it just ends up being... I mean, it's not that bad. To be honest, I think for this podcast, I probably invest, like, including web development, probably eight to ten hours a week. Mm. So it's probably, like, 40 hours a month, roughly, that mm. I put into this podcast. And that accounts for recording time, editing time. Oh, that's not bad. Um, posting, marketing. Mm -hmm. But I've got it streamlined now, which mm -hmm. is why it's where it is. And these are predominantly unedited podcasts. Yeah. Like, if these were more edited, it would be a lot more time. But it is what it is, right? And I'm happy to do it. Like, I'm happy to hang out for the day. This is the easy part of the <laughs> podcasting process for me. This is the fun part. It is. It totally is. Um, which actually brings me to our topic, because we are recording. Mm -hmm. Oh, we are recording. Yes, we are. Is that is that okay? Is <laughs> yeah, it okay that's totally fine. include any of our previous of conversations? Awesome. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah, so we can talk about van dwelling if you want. Mm -hmm. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. Hello. I am here with Selena who is an engineer, former engineer, and sex worker, who did an awesome session just recently on sex work that I'm very proud of, and we're now going to talk to you about van dwelling. And if any thoughts come up for you over the course of the episode that you want to contribute about sex work and how that ties in with van dwelling or intimacy, I'm totally down to talk about that instead. Yeah. But let's start with um, attachment to space and attachment to city and living and just 
all that stuff. Let's start with how long you've been in Vancouver. Oh, I've been in Vancouver for six, seven years now. I came here for university, mm -hmm. and I love the city. It's gorgeous. There's no snow. I came from Edmonton, where there was minus 40 degrees, plus windshield. Right, plus windshield. And yeah. then I got here, and I heard people complaining about the rain, and I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been living in a van um, for just over a year now. Yeah. Yeah. I bought it in September of last year, and I love it. Love how it so how much. long have you been doing sex work, by the way? I never asked in the last session. Um, about the same, about actually. The same. I started sex work a little bit earlier than that, so I started in June. Right. And then. Um, but you went from independent to an agency as well. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of like, as I was figuring out the industry and seeing yeah. how I fit in. Yeah. The. The agency I started in June. Okay. Yeah, so like early summer, and then I went into the van in September. Okay. And that was two very different things. It wasn't very. It wasn't because. It wasn't related. I, yeah, it wasn't related. Got you. Cool. Um, so you've been in Vancouver about six, seven years. Do you find you have a relationship with the space you live in? Um. I love the fact that it's my space. Right. I've actually, because when I was studying engineering and like I was training rock climbing for a while, I was going really hard on Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I wasn't at home very much. Mm -hmm. And when I had roommates, there was a desire to connect with them. And then also I just wasn't home. I would use that space for a bed and sometimes for cooking. A lot of times I would cook once a week and then just grab and go. Mm -hmm. So there was there was almost a bit of guilt, you know, of, oh, these, these people seem awesome and... I go back home, I don't want to socialize. I don't right. want to hear things that are going on. I just want to, like, sleep. Right. And when I got my van, it was almost like, oh, I have my own space, and I can do whatever I want with it. I can keep it the, the way that I want, and I don't have that obligation or, like, what I thought was an obligation to create these connections in a shared space. Mm-hmm. And I get to move around the city. Yes, that okay. brings me nicely to my next question. <laughs> what is van dwelling? What is van dwelling? Van dwelling is living in a vehicle mm -hmm. as your main place of yeah, yeah it's, residence. Like it's yeah. where you it's where you live. It's you, where live you live in a vehicle. And then van dwelling uh, from that center, it's all of the different lifestyle choices and adaptions you've made to live in a van, live in a vehicle. Sure. And I, just like sex work, um, there's so many different reasons people go into and so many different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Some people, like me, I've researched the hell out of this for three, four years before I pulled the trigger, and mm -hmm. I was like, yes, this is the van that I want, and this is what I'm going to go into. Mm. I have one friend who shared a place with a partner, and then when they broke up, he he had a month to find a place and he's like, you know, I'm just going to live in my van for a little bit. Right. And then he found that he loved it and he's been in it for three years now. Mm -hmm. I have other people who live in their car, like a little Toyota Corolla because that's the only option they have. Right. Right. Yeah. And I've met other people who could have been homeless and saved up enough money to buy an RV and that's what they're living in and they're they're pretty happy with that yeah it's kind of this this intermediate step of i'm not totally disenfranchised but i'm not earning enough at my job to mm -hmm. be able to afford to live in a space other than say a van or a vehicle and you have bay entrepreneurs that are millionaires that live in their vans right because it's so expensive to own property that literally you could no, it's just a choice oh you mean like for millionaires it would be a choice and there are I people know, in yeah i know some friends who are founders in the bay area that's great who they just prefer well they prefer living in their van one like they don't want to deal with having a house having a place mm -hmm. and also a lot of the time they're busy taking care of their company so right. they want to be able to go wherever they need to go right and they basically just like live at work yeah, then, it's the lifestyle they choose. Right. It's the thing that works for them. 
and the van is like a mobile home almost. It mm-hmm. just goes with them where they need to sleep. Yep. And yeah. Yep. That makes sense. And when you really, really need a shower, you either have one at work or you have one at a hotel or you have one mm-hmm. wherever you need one. Yeah, if you've lived the entrepreneur lifestyle of like basically living your idea, it kind of makes sense that whatever workspace you've created for your employees, that's also your home as well. Right. Yep. And it would make sense that individuals that sort of lend themselves more to that van dwelling lifestyle might consider having um, more of a kitchen, for example, at work, because a lot of the startup culture that's come out of San Francisco is all about having really nice coffee and tea and facilities for cooking yourself food, Mm -hmm. um, fridge space, like all that kind of stuff. And it would not shock me if some of them had showers. I mean, my... When I worked for a big engineering company, they had showers because people would bike to work or people would right. go for an early morning gym session right. and they don't want to be sweaty when they're working. Yeah. Right. That's not even in the Bay Area. That was in Alberta. Right. So you mentioned that this lifestyle you're living in so many ways has been a dream for you. I'd love to hear more about your passion behind that. Oh, I was a rock climber for four years, and that's <laughs> that's just a climber <laughs> dream. It's like we talk about our dream home, and we're like, I want a sprinter. <laughs> I want to climb all over the world traveling in my sprinter. <laughs> and once I stopped rock climbing, it was still a thing because mm-hmm. our culture is so minimalistic. It's like you don't really need that much to be happy. A lot of us, we're out in the wilderness, we're climbing with our buddies, and then at the end you're all tired out you create this fire and just talking and chatting and you'll spend the whole summer like that and then you look at all of the other things in society when you're living in a city and you're like well i don't really need that it's a nice to have right and it's not the a thing must. that's important yeah so the van dwelling was very much coming from that of one i don't need much what is actually essential in my life I need a bed to sleep in. Mm-hmm. I want a place to be able to keep my stuff and go home to. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. Most of my time I'm spent outside, hanging out with friends, at the gym, going to different restaurants. Why am I paying for a space that I would say like 60% of the time I'm not there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had the same thought about renting a space it feels wasteful to me and Mm -hmm. especially in my lifestyle where i might work 10 or 12 hours i've had show calls even short ones that just last six days where i'm working 12 12 hours a day for six straight days i just feel like i'm not using my space Mm -hmm. it feels like what i need is a bed and it would be more convenient if it were closer to work downtown as opposed to having to come all the way out to richmond every night and then all the way back to downtown And when you're spending as much time as you're basically living there, you know, you get to a point where you're like, can I just like throw on a sleep mask and earplugs in like the crew room and just like sleep on the floor? Mm Because it would be really convenient. And you get to save like what, an hour in transportation? Each way easy. Yeah. Right. And then you get more sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the only real thing is I don't have a kitchen or a shower there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of comes back to these basics of like how we get our human needs met and the more intensely urbanized we become, like the more it starts to make sense mm-hmm. to be a little more, I don't want to say decentralized. I'm not really sure what the word is, but to be a little more um, interdependent, I guess, or have smaller spaces. Or even just conscious of how we're using our spaces. Yeah. Like I had a partner come in from Victoria and Like, usually I'm okay having a person in my van, like, there's enough space. But based on what we wanted to do for the weekend, I'm like, well, I'm just going to rent an Airbnb because Mm -hmm. with the money I'm saving on rent, I can choose to expand my living living space when I need it and then not use that space when I don't have a partner coming in. Right. Like, that was one of the reasons I'm like, we can just have a living room for a weekend and then afterwards I don't need it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it often makes me think sometimes, especially when I'm in like a scarcity mindset, I'm like, how, how difficult would it be to have like four rooms or three rooms that have like a shared bathroom, shower and kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so long as your schedule's aligned or worked 
you know, very well. Um, could we have temporary housing that looked like that? I mean, a lot of people would look at that and scoff mm -hmm. with how much we have. Um, but something like that would be something I'd consider if my room were lockable. Yeah. But again, this touches back on issues like intentional housing and the ways that we can create better community and more comfort in small spaces with other people. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll do an episode on um, intentional housing later. But yeah. it does it does tie in with what we're talking about, though. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about van dwelling as an option because there's some stigma attached to it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of... So from what I've experienced, there was one person who was very, very concerned that I was living in a van. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because some homeless organizations consider people who live in their vehicles still homeless. Because in a sense, you're not in a fixed residence. Mm -hmm. And that's also... How would you say this? There's a way where the government wants us in one place. Yes, the government is very anti-nomad. Yes. As a general rule, all governments seem to be. It's hard to tax this, people when you don't know where they are. Despite the fact this was one of the lifestyles of human beings. Definitely. Back in the day. And for some people, it's still something that feels natural for us. We have wanderlust. Mm-hmm. And some people don't want to have a fixed address. Some people want to be able to wander the world. And that should be okay. I think so, too. I mean, it's it's different from people not being able to have a fixed address. Mm -hmm. If people want to not have a fixed address because they consider it wasteful or they don't use their space the way most people do. Some people just really like being out in the world all of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's that, when I first got into van dwelling, I had some conventional friends joke about how I was going to live in a white van and people are going to think I'm going to kidnap kids oh, or, or live down by the river. Right. There's the whole um, <laughs> Chris Farley's Matt Foley sketch. I live in a van down by the river. Totally. It was a I'm sure it's great. <laughs> it was a hilarious sketch, but ultimately the fact that there was a backstory of living in a van is kind of a side note. Yeah, there's a almost derogatory way we yeah. look at people who choose this kind of lifestyle. And I think there's definitely a gendered component there. Like, I think there's a lot of onus on men to be providers and to own property, mm -hmm. to be enfranchised. And there's something that's um, not masculine about that, about... Um, there's, a, there's a lot of shame tied into capitalism, yes. and if you don't have a lot of money, you should be ashamed of yourself. There's a lot of, if you aren't able to provide for people as a man, you should be ashamed of yourself. There are all of these, like, really nasty stigmas that you don't tend to think about until you're in a situation where you are disenfranchised or mm -hmm. you don't have the ability to provide for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of... I have one good friend who lives in a van, and I remember when I first met him and I was like, hey, do you live around here? He was so bashful about the fact he lived in a van. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky as a female that I'm very open about van dwelling. I don't get a lot of that stigma. But for him to... It's, it seems like to be able to welcome somebody into their home and provide a space, even connects to the dating and how and, and the courting Definitely. of other women when you're a guy and because there's so much stigma around women having sex a lot of the time women tend to go home to a man's residence mm -hmm. that tends to be the way that it works so if you don't have residence as a man there's definitely that mm -hmm. what other kind of gendered aspects would you say there are in van dwelling <laughs> the, the question of how do you pee in a van is <laughs> like for for a female a lot of girls ask me that right as, there's two questions it's like what do you do with all your stuff and how do you pee right <laughs> and i'm sure people would ask about menstruation as well yeah menst menstruation um that's been a tricky one and it's mainly it, it's not bad sure. um it's actually because i use a diva cup right and when it's on heavy flow sure. uh, and not having access to a bathroom when you wake up is sometimes difficult right and then once i've switched to just pads there's no problem. Right. In the city that I live in, um, all of the parks have washrooms and they lock them at night and then right. they open it up during the daytime. Right. So as long as I'm parked in, and for parks, there's no limitations for parking. Right. 
So once once I'm in that, those kind of areas, once you've figured out where your locations are, it's very right. easy. You can sort of bounce between these like safe havens almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can use the public washrooms when you need them. And coffee shops. They open at like 5 in the morning. Right. So if you need to use the washroom, yep. you can either go to like a 24-hour McDonald's kind of thing. Yeah, I've never used McDonald's. Interesting. <laughs> I've never used McDonald's. There are 24-hour locations that do have washrooms, like there's the occasional fast food place or coffee never shop. never found any use for them. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that says a lot about not being in a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am lucky. I sleep through a lot of things. <laughs> that, that's great. That's fantastic. And I'm so happy that you've sort of found your areas and have sort of been figuring this lifestyle out for yourself. It was, it was really easy actually and yeah. i think being prepared and doing your research definitely there's there's so much information online about it because i think people have been doing it since the hippie era right and then like they want people to have that information and it's free makes me think of the volkswagen vans from right? the hippie era and the free love yeah the, yeah yeah that's a really cool idea um so much of the new wave of non-monogamy is in so many ways, like, owing a lot of its success to research that hippies did. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, the same parents that are like, um, don't do that, are also the parents that pioneered all of the important things that are like, here's how you do it respectfully and consensually and ethically and safely. Yeah, I love the fact we're building on the free love thing mm-hmm. and refining it in a way so it's it's even healthier. Yeah, and just it, we're just applying all the education we have the privilege to have gotten because of all the mistakes the previous generation made. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all that they did. Mm-hmm. Like It really is that feeling of constantly building. And again, this doesn't mean that this lifestyle is right for everyone. We're not saying everyone go out and live in a van. It's just a question of if you have that sense of wanderlust, if you love the idea of being able to go anywhere and not be constrained by having rent to pay or a place you have to live in and instead paying for eating food out of your place because you don't have a kitchen and mm. paying for gas and maintenance on your vehicle and insurance. Yeah. That's um one of the big misconceptions is the fact people think I save so much more because I'm not paying rent mm-hmm. in a place that you have to pay at least seven hundred even for a shared room. Yeah. Um like I think some of the RV people, they're able to cook in their place, and right. that saves them money. I eat out a lot, mm-hmm. and that that does add up. Yeah. And that was something I didn't realize. I thought van drilling would be cheaper, and that's one of the reasons I went into it. Right. Though it does give me a lot more freedom to enjoy restaurants and like hang out with people without feeling guilty that yeah. I'm spending money. Right, because now you have all of your potential rent income, or, or not expenditure, <laughs> rather, um, that just all of a sudden you can apply to going out with friends for mm-hmm. food. So it really is just a lifestyle shift. It's a lifestyle shift. Yeah. yeah. Do you have, so in terms of a relationship with your space, you definitely seem to have an enjoyment of minimalism. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like there's something comforting maybe, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, it, but for me, there's something comforting about being comfortable about being in a minimal space. And when I'm in bigger spaces, I often feel like I don't enjoy the wastefulness. It's one of the reasons why, especially in the space I'm in, which is actually quite large, I feel like I really want a roommate all the time because Hmm. it just seems like really wasteful to have all of this space in the GVA and also expensive if I don't have a roommate. So there's many motivations. But in terms of your relationship with your space, I'm curious to talk maybe a little more about intimacy and whether or not you feel like having all of your life on display almost in a sense is intimate. In display as in... Just in the sense that if people look into your van, like, to some extent, they're looking at your mm, life. Uh, you've seen my van. Yeah. You've seen... So, I'm very cautious about displaying things in my van. Right. Because all of my things are in there. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have my life in this tiny little metal box. Yeah. So, I cover everything with blankets. Right. And when people look in, they all they see is, like... A bed. A, a large blanket. A large flat area covered by uh, like blankets yeah like one blanket um i know a lot of van dwellers like i have my windows my side windows tinted and i had my back window tinted too before while i was learning how to drive a big vehicle i backed it into a tree that's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So, and a lot of van dwellers choose to either cover up all of the windows or buy a vehicle that doesn't have windows. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
because, like, especially with the bigger RVs, you're moving around in the space. Right. You're reading. You're on your computer, and you don't want that to be on display. Sure. And people, when I open up my vehicle, they're often surprised at how much is in there without them realizing it. Right. There's storage under the bed. There's storage in the back that is hidden from the windows. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think in some ways it, it's almost safer to have windows where people can look in and say, "Oh, there's nothing in the van." I don't know. I've been broken into twice. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And that was also another unfortunate thing. And one time it's because I forgot I left a window open. Sure. And somebody opened it up and my bag was there and they grabbed it. Right. The other time, like, my van was a mess and I think that was my fault. But they saw that there was a lot of things in there and they picked the lock and grabbed some electronics. Right. I mean, in terms of fault, I always say that the person that's offending or committing the crime is the one that's responsible. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And that you feel like there are steps you could have taken to just prevent it. Yeah. But in terms of, like, fault and blame, it's one of those things where, like, people who are going to commit a crime will typically just go on to the next easiest victim. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, even if we all just say, you know, it's our own fault if we don't protect ourselves and here's what we can do to protect ourselves, it's like, well, we can say that. Or as a community, we can say it's our own fault that we're not enforcing laws against these individuals or that we're not practicing restorative justice against these individuals or providing a minimum income that would stop the necessity for stealing for a lot mm-hmm. of these individuals. Not that that necessarily solves the problem. but So safety is always a factor when you're living in a yeah. van. And that's <laughs> to keep why, us on topic. That's why um, a lot of people, they don't want people to look into our vehicles. Mm-hmm. Or they, they... I bought my van specifically because... It was kind of stealth. Right. right. When you're in a city, you want a vehicle that looks like all the other vehicles. Right. So that people aren't like, oh, somebody lives in this. Right. Right. Um, I can't remember. Do you have curtains that you draw on your van when you sleep? Or do you sleep? Yeah, I put up curtains in the back. And okay. then I put up, put up curtains in the front. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the RV people do because it's just so it's obvious. It's so obvious. Yeah. Especially when you're in a city. When you're in, like, a smaller town, it's not, not too bad. Yeah. Um, the, like, the city is a little sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, like you said, you'd be a target for people trying to rob you, potentially. Yeah. Unless you're living in there most of the time. Like, I go for right. work, right. and then I'll be gone for 48 hours at a time. Right. Yeah. I, I hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if I'm as a non-monogamous person visiting partners and just sleeping at theirs for one night here, one night there, sometimes I'll leave my space and it'll be like, does my chinchilla have food and water? Mm-hmm. Does my rat have food and water? Mm-hmm. I have to make sure I've like taken care of my obligations here um, because I'll be gone from the space for 48 hours. Yeah. And when you think about that, that's, an, that's really hard to justify the expense of having a space almost hmm. like I want a space that's uniquely mine but hmm. with how long I tend to be away and, and I am a bit of a homebody but that also as a person who likes a clean minimal space I don't need to have a thousand square feet like it's yeah. just not a necessity and it really just comes down to with things becoming almost prohibitively expensive in this city um, for anyone that doesn't make a significant amount of money um, it would be nice to have options for more working class folks like myself. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm, I mean, I guess I kind of am, but it is what it is. Um, do you feel like you own your own home? I make that joke all the time. Right, you own your own home. <laughs> In Vancouver, yes, you are. In Vancouver, yes. I mean, I paid a flat rate for my vehicle. And like from my research, you don't want to pay more than $5,000 for a vehicle that you're going to be living in. Like, there's, there's so many vans that you can get for that amount, and it'll do the things that you need it to do. Mm-hmm. And then often I know people who will sell it for about the same rate. Wow, that they bought it for. That they bought it for, or just a little bit lower, and they get all of their money back. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had friends who will travel Europe in a van and then sell it when they leave. Wow. It's That's a, a really great cool idea. way to do it. Mm-hmm. I'd never even considered buying a van in Europe. And if you have a license that's transferable, which I think Canadian licenses is, are, yep. you could just drive around Europe, see Europe on a shoestring budget. Yep. That's cool. 
So yep. I typically did when I was in Italy um, because I had the incredible fortune of being with someone who fundraised for my Christmas present as a mm. partner, reached out to my family, reached out to their family and got us tickets to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made the comment, like, if we're going, I'd rather spend what I've saved and just be there for slightly longer. Um, and we spent like four weeks traveling in Italy and we basically just spent like three days in a place and then moved on and then spent yeah. three days in a place and moved on. Maybe it wasn't quite four weeks. It was probably closer to three, but it was, anyways, it was a great experience. But mostly what we did was we stayed in hostels mm-hmm. and you could stay places for like between 10 and 20 euros in a night, which is still a lot over like 20 days. Like you're talking a lot of euros. Considering how much we pay for rent and food. Right. It's not, it's not too bad. It was cheaper than a month of rent in Vancouver. Yes. Which is, but I was also paying for rent here at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suffice well, it to say, wow, it, was, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was financially depleting, we'll say that, but it was also an amazing experience. And to do that without paying rent, to do that in a space where once you're there with the van, it's not that much more expensive other than eating out. I wouldn't do van dwelling and visit cities in Europe, mm. personally. Mm-hmm. I like The transportation for trains and buses is so good. It is so if good. you're going to be visiting Rome, or Naples. Yeah. I, I would rather do that than try to navigate a new city. Um, yeah, and roads in Europe are not the same as roads here. And then also worry about what if somebody pickpocket, um, how would you say? Um, yeah, picks your locker, picks steals my lock your things. and steals yeah. my things. Especially passports. Especially in tourist areas. Yeah. So for me, like, that really comes back to the climber lifestyle of, oh, what if we were able to get a van, go to all of the forests and climbing areas and right, just right, right. climb and also visit the small towns. Of course. And sometimes you see some of the coolest stuff when you're not mm-hmm. in touristy It's a areas. different experience. It is. It's definitely a different way to travel for sure. But yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. And I really loved the person... Um, that I was traveling with. Mm. I think that... It's good to have a good travel partner. Being able to share your experiences is part of what I find enjoyable about traveling. If I were doing it on my own, to be honest, I wouldn't enjoy it that much. Mm. For me, it's creating the shared experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, that's what's valuable. Okay. Um, You already covered how to find bathroom access, which is great. Um, how expensive is it to find services like showers or cooking or parking that people normally get in traditionally rented spaces that you may need to find? I mean, I know you already answered bathrooms for parks, parking in certain areas is free, but what do you do when you need access to, I mean, for you, you mentioned you can do showers at work. I can do showers at work. And potentially with friends. Uh, and also the city has an amazing reduced rate for pools. Oh. So it's $5 to get in. Oftentimes, if I'm coming close to when they close, they're so nice. They're like, just go in for free. It's fine. And yeah, like you get, you have the sauna, you have the steam room, you have the showers. You're blowing my mind right now. It had never occurred to me that you could literally just go to the pool, have a shower, go in to a sauna, go into the hot tub, shower on your way out. And this is why we pay our taxes. That's unbelievable. (laughs) I love the fact, like, I go in there and it keeps me connected to some of the people who, you know, can't afford to pay $150 for a gym membership. Right. And uh, this is why we pay our taxes. So we have these services for people. Oh, my God. That's so (laughs) even. It never even occurred to me that you could do that. Right? Like, for $5. (laughs) Wow, that is that is so much less expensive than I thought. Like even if you went every single day in a month, that's 150 bucks for daily access. You to have a, a monthly card for 50 bucks, right? And you get access to a gym, right? So you would have a gym and a shower for 50 bucks for any pool in Vancouver, any right. gym that that's is ridiculous. Plus, so then okay, so then you're potentially paying for parking at some of these pools, but you could also go to one. No, it's free. It's free to park in, in Vancouver. Pools. It's free oh, for awesome. to park in all of those places. Amazing. So. You have parking taken care of in parks and at pools. You have a gym membership and... And in residential pools. areas. Okay. Well, except for some that are alleged. Because, like, if you're close Kitsilano, to, for example. Yeah, if you're close to a lot of the uh, shops, they'll have, like, two-hour limitations. Right. If you're in a random residential area, say, like, in Marpole, sure. there's no limitations. Nobody cares. So long as you're not near transit or, like, a SkyTrain, yeah. you can pretty much... So any place where people don't really care 
basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's unlikely you're going to leave your van for two two days or whatever. You can leave your van for two days. Oh, I've left vans there for like a week. Sure. Yeah. It's because my van doesn't look like an RV. Right. It's just a vehicle that's parked on the street. Right. And if... If it did look like an RV, is there a way they could phone Bylar? Like, are there... I don't think there are. Like, I, I think you'd still think be fine. So. They can call the police because they're concerned. Sure. And then I would get a, like, a, a knock, knock on, on, your window on my and door. And a request for you to move kind of deal. Yeah, or the police being like, hey, like, who are you? What's going on? We got a complaint. And usually that's because you're being loud. You're not being respectful of right. the fact this is still street parking. Or you're taking up someone's parking spot. <laughs> uh, they have, th- that's why they have those two hour limitations. Right. That's to keep people from, like, parking if right. you live there, right. right? I can park there as long as I want. Right. It's, like, you get complaints of van dwellers throwing out their trash on the street. Got Or you. being disrespectful that way. But as long as you're respectful of your neighbors, essentially, they don't really care. They yeah. might, like, hear I've never you. gotten a knock on, on the window. Really? That's ever. awesome. And you've been doing this more than a year. Yeah. And I'm very stealth. Right. You're pretty careful about being respectful mm-hmm. and, like, not taking up too much space and mm-hmm. just kind of just, like, moving on. Yeah. You also move around a lot, you mentioned. I move around... The general rule is you want to move around every three days or so. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I've been in different places and stayed a week, and there's been no issues. It's mainly... Um, you're more of a target right? for people if you keep the van there for a long time. Like, people pass by it, and if you're you're quite obvious of the fact you live in the space, yeah. people will keep that in mind, and if just anybody realizes you've been here for a week, then they might prepare some things to, to pick the lock or whatever, break the window. Mm-hmm. That sucks. And people might target you if they know that you have a routine and you always come back to the same spot. Yeah. It makes more sense to kind of park at different streets, different parts of the street, that kind of thing, just to be less conspicuous. And I know friends who will park by people's houses that they know quite well. Like, I feel quite safe at my friend's community house, and I'll stay there for a week because there's so many people coming in and out of the house, and they know who I am. And they're like, yeah, like, if anyone asks, you're just part of the house. You're one of the people who own a car here. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Cool. It sounds like you definitely have a community here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the community of all the other van dwellers. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's funny when you're walking around and you start noticing all of the van dwellers because you, you just know what to look for, right? Yeah. And some of the people you meet, um, yeah, it's not... Like, the community, we, we try to, t- like, talk to each other when we see each other. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't had very much of a contact with the community. I've had like one or two, and there's just there's so many different kinds of people who go into this life. Right. Tell me, tell me something about them. I'm interested in learning more. Um, one guy that I met was a 60-year-old artist from L.A. with a black lab. Okay. And... You could see that, like, this was the best option he had. Right. Like, he was very proud of the fact he was able to save so much money and work on his art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of my best friends lives in a van because he goes out into the mountains all the time, and it just makes sense for him. He's more at home in the woods than he is in the city, and he prefers to be up in the north shore where there's a lot of wooded area and he can almost he can basically camp but still be in the city Mm. whereas for me i prefer being in the city and having access to all of the pools all of the bathrooms and all the restaurants people and people all of my friends are here yeah I'm also fairly extroverted. Do you think that van dwelling would be harder for introverted people or easier? Or do you think that that's a perfect example of someone who's more interested in the introverted side of it? I think it's whatever you want to make of it. Sure. Right. I've So a lot of libraries close around 9 o'clock, like the Mount Pleasant Library. They close at 9, but the community center closes at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to be introverted, I could spend most of my evening in the library, walk out, sit on the couch, and read my book until 10 o'clock. Right. And then by then, you're, because your body is quite synced up with the circadian rhythm when you're in a van. Yeah. By then, I'm pretty sleepy, and I go to bed, and I wake up in the morning, chill out in the coffee shop, and read my book 
Like, you can totally yeah. like go for a whole week, two weeks doing that and not talk to anyone. Wow. Or you can like go up into the woods and not talk to anyone for two weeks. Sure. Depending on what kind of job you have. Right. Or I could go and hang out at my friend's intentional house, go and like hit up a bunch of my people all around the city and like have somebody to talk to every night. Right. <laughs> awesome. So what made you decide to start van dwelling? I wanted to. You just, again, it was part of that <laughs> climber dream where you were like, I've always wanted to live in a van. It I'm going to go live sense. in a van. Yeah. Now I'm living in a van. <laughs> it's like uh, my lifestyle, I've moved almost every two years of my life. And when you do that, you throw out so much of your things because you're like, well, I've never used this for a year. Well, and I don't need this. And like one of my dreams when I was 18 was to just live off of a backpack mm -hmm. and just like go everywhere. And it it just made sense. It was so easy to transfer into a van because, so I'm 24 now mm -hmm. and I've never owned furniture. I've always rented out places with a bed and different things Furnished that I needed. Places, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, it was, it just made sense. I think for people who like own a place mm -hmm. or have who are renting a place and they've furnished it themselves, it's a little harder to go into a van. Mm -hmm. And for women who who buy a lot of things, who have a lot of wardrobe, like that was one of the struggles I had. As women, we're expected to have all these different types of outfits for different situations. Right. And a lot of my female friends are like, well, do you have a place that you store all of your clothes? And I'm like, no, I think... I just wear similar... I, I wear the same outfits kind of deal, or...? Uh, I wear a lot of merino wool. Okay. So as a climber... Um, they use it a lot just because it's antibacterial. You can wear it for a number of days, even if you're sweating a lot, mm -hmm. and it doesn't stink. It's like you can wash it easily. Easily. You, do you just rinse it and dry it, kind of thing, or? Um, I hand wash it. Okay. And I guess that's another question: is laundry? How do you get access to laundry services? But I know plenty of people that live in spaces that don't have in-suite laundry, and they just go and do their laundry in a laundromat. And for me, it's like I have merino wool socks. Sorry, I just dropped a whole bunch of stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Merino wool socks. I have merino wool socks, so I have two pairs of that, and they're lifetime warranty if they ever break. Again, going back to the minimalism, and I wash them, like, every three days. Um, I have underwear that's wool, and, like, that is also, like, every three days, which is amazing. When I found that out... Underwear, huh? Oh, my God. Like, some of the Lacenza and Victoria's Secret underwear is just There's so bad. <laughs> so <right>. bad. <laughs> but you can get, like, merino wool yeah. underwear. Yeah. So this is, like, a climber secret, I guess? Like Or, like, an outdoorsy can... secret or something? I don't, sure. I don't know. Sure. But you can wear clothing like this much longer because it's antibacterial. It's because antibacterial. Because it doesn't hold sweat in the same and, way. And uh, when it gets wet, it moves all of the wetness it outwards. It it away yes, from your body. Yes, that's the word. Yeah. Uh, so I've used it for travel as right. well. Oh, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. So you don't need that many clothes. You don't need that, like, as many changes of clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of the show is like, here's all this really important niche knowledge from alternative communities, <laughs> and it might be useful to you in like the mainstream. And while like a lot of this may not be directly applicable, I think the like Marina Wolf for travel is like a huge takeaway. All of our secrets. All of <laughs> it's it's funny how many mediators and consent folks and negotiation folks all tend to have some grounding in like the BDSM community because there's mm. so much training for that. Yes, I really respect you guys for all the work oh, there. Thank you. I yeah. recently learned consent at a gut level from somebody who was 20 years in the kink scene. Wow. Oh, the changes that I have made in my life and how well my relationships go now because of that. It makes a huge difference. Such a difference. And, like, a lot of people think, like, I'm an adult. I've been having sex for, like, 25 years. What do I need to learn about consent? Clearly, I'm doing a great job of it. And it's, like, just because it isn't bad enough that someone is saying, hey, you non-consensually did things with me, mm -hmm. doesn't mean you couldn't be getting a lot more enrichment out of your life by just learning a little bit more about negotiating with other people and yourself and understanding how to like table things and like I know a lot of relationships already have functional dynamics where you can do that but trust me that well of consent and negotiation goes really really deep there's a lot you can learn and 
learning more about it, worst case scenario, so you wasted a couple hours of your time. Mm -hmm. Best case scenario, you've literally unlocked a way of reaching into yourself to get desires met that you didn't know you had or didn't feel like you could ever get met. Mm -hmm. Honestly, this should be something... Well, not should. I've been trying to get rid of the word should. I like that. Uh, I also try and replace it with the word could. Yeah. I, I think it would be so impactful to have it as a coming of age thing. Because children don't have sovereignty. They can't have sovereignty. Yeah. So that transition into adulthood instead of like, you're 18, you're an adult now. Magically, overnight, and all of a sudden I'm going to not empower you with the skills, right, there's, but I'm going to stop telling you what you have to do. There's so many talks about what coming of age rituals can we have in Western society. Sovereignty, yeah. like learning how to choose. Is this what you want? You have a right to say no. Yeah. Is this person making you uncomfortable? Well, let them know, and you have a choice whether you want to move away from them or not. Even just teaching people how to be accountable for their actions. Yes. When you inevitably fuck up in life, here's how you can take responsibility for that in a way that does not take on shame, but that takes on, I will do better in future. Mm -hmm. This is the stuff that I'm going to own up to. Right. And also knowing when other people are trying to put stuff on you and you're like, well, no, I don't believe this is something that was mine. And here are my mistakes that I'm yeah. owning up to. Yeah. And sometimes if someone's really looking for closure or is really looking for someone to blame, what does it cost you to just be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. You don't have to get defensive. You don't have to shame them. You don't have to blame them. You can just hear what they're saying and be like, like, I may not completely agree, but I really appreciate what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like, just being able to hear people it comes back to communication skills. It comes back to understanding that accepting responsibility does not harm you. Even socially, when people are really willing to be like, oh, I'm sorry that that was your experience of me. Mm -hmm. I will absolutely hear what you have to say. Even if I don't agree with it, I'm interested in getting that feedback. When you see someone like that socially, you don't say, oh, wow, that person fucks up a lot. You say, mm -hmm. I feel safe around that person because I know if I ever have an issue with them, they're going to be open to hearing me out. It's going to help with closure. I fundamentally think a human is safer when that human is really open to me saying, you really screwed this up and I'm really hurting um, as a result of our interactions. Like, that's a great option to have. And if we could just teach people who are coming of age that, like, accountability is really important, consent is really important, autonomy, sovereignty, these are things mm -hmm. that are really important. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I learned sovereignty at a gut level because I owned my van. Interesting. So my friend who was teaching me, he's like, see how protective you are of that space. Right. See how violating it is when somebody comes in and takes from that space. Yeah. And how protective you are. Like, I I named my van. And yeah. I'm like, I love you, Stephen. We just celebrated our first year anniversary together. And, like, awesome. I joke about all that. But very much, it's it's a part of me, right? Yeah. It's, there's something about um, that space that is almost sacred to me, right? And it's from yeah. that place that I transfer it into myself of, hey, this is where I, I'm going to stand up for myself because, no, I'm not going to take that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting how sometimes we're so socialized not to defend our physical autonomy. The, well, our society makes it so they don't want us to get sovereignty. Right. They don't want you to feel... They don't want you to have a sense of entitlement to your physical self, your physical space, necessarily. They don't want us to choose. They want us dependent on them so that they can, they can, how would you say, not control us, but influence, influence us in ways where we don't realize. You mean in terms of like marketing? Marketing, media. Right. Like we get pictures of what we're supposed to look like and, exactly. th and it is conducive to um, a society with a lot of GDP to have a populace that is constantly looking at okay, but what should I look like? How should yes. I dress? What should I buy? Am, am I being accepted by everyone? Is right. this okay? Instead of who am I and what do I want to be? Right. Right. It's a lot less focused on, like, what would make my heart sing? Mm -hmm. And more focused on, here's what you should, here's what your house should look like. Here's mm -hmm. what your outfit should look like. Here's what you need to do to be happy. Here's what your date should look like. There's there's a lot of <laughs> oh, there's a lot of really oh, intense baggage in that of this is a high status human. Mm -hmm. And you, that goes back to 
choosing fan dwelling. Right. Right. You're there's a lot of work there of well, I'm not gonna choose that accepted I'm gonna own a house and have one point five kids. I'm <laughs> I love that you said have one point five kids. I appreciate that. <laughs> It's like, no, this is what really works for my lifestyle, and this is what I believe in, and I don't... Yes, you can tell me all of your opinions and some of your concerns, and also, mm-hmm. I'm really happy here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just glancing over at lights and things. Can I pause and go to the washroom? You can absolutely do that. Okay, cool. We will be right back. <laughs> and we're back. Yay! Awesome, and it looks like everything's working. That's great. Okay, good. Um, so yeah, we're almost done. We're still talking about van dwelling. Um, I was going to ask what needs van dwelling meets, but I feel like we've covered that really well over the course of the talk. Um, do you feel safe with van dwelling, given that you've been broken into a couple of times, and you were talking about how violating it can feel to have someone come into that space? Yeah, I'm a lot more careful now of what I show in the top layer of my van. Other than that, it's like there's there's only so much you can do, right? At this point, none of my electronics are in my van because there are no electronics right. that I own except for my phone. Right. And um, I'm going to get a, a better phone and use that instead of having a computer that I store in my van. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it was it was a kind of lifestyle choice that made sense when I was living in a home. And now it doesn't make as much sense. Right. So this is an opportunity to shift my lifestyle even more into how do I work with the fact I live in a vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, the food component's not one I thought too much about. Um, Just like the expense of going out and buying food and where would you store it and if you store it in your van does your van look messy and like all those things um trying to find there's some really awesome setups we have for food yeah like honestly having a cooler it doesn't make things very messy right uh and you like i have my friend who is in the woods all all the time he opens up the back the cooler is a little bit lower and he's able to pull it out and you because his is also um, one of those doors that open upwards. You have okay. a shelter for the rain, and then he pulls out his cooler, and then you have your chopping board on there. Oh, wow. Okay. on the side, you have the plastic containers for your dry foods, and he's able to pull different things from there. And can, like, cook. Yeah, he cooks really easily. Mine is not set up for cooking, right. and I just haven't bothered. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and in terms of music, like, phones are so light on the cost of electricity. Like, phones can play music now, especially nicer phones. My phone was 250 bucks to buy outright. Mm-hmm. I have a Moto E. I think it was built in June 2016, or maybe it was June 2017. I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, so, so new phone. right now, um, I actually, super sweet, and this is... I, very surprising even for me I have a client who's buying me a phone for my birthday oh that's cute right yeah he's buying me one of the the new iPhones and I'm like wow oh, yeah <laughs> and this is not normal for right. most places it's it's actually quite rare of all of the clients that I've had uh, I guess like one out of a couple thousand would do that for you right um, so with that I'm going to do a lot of my emails and stuff on there, and then right now I'm using just the public library computers to do anything else. Yeah, Yeah, I knew that the public library had computers if you absolutely needed to get access. Oh, they're great. They're really good? I have no complaints on them. They're fast. Um, You have usually an hour that you can use them for, and the wait has never been too much of an issue. Like, busy periods, you can book in, and they'll be like, oh, it'll be 15 minutes wait, and you have this computer at this time, so I just come back at that time. And the Vancouver downtown library, that big one with the Coliseum, you can be on there for two hours. That's amazing. It also is occurring to me you can rent DVDs, audiobooks, you have access to the internet, there are bathrooms. It's basically everything except for food and showers. You can do recordings in the public library. There are even podcasts. So what you're yeah. saying is, if I ever end up almost homeless, 
I can still have this podcast. Yeah, the amount of public services that are out there is actually quite incredible. I'm curious how expensive it is um, to do recordings. I think it's free over there. Man, making me think about all my podcasting setup. <laughs> See, if I were just living in a van down by the river or not, um, I could be recording a podcast at the same time. <laughs> right. Also, if I say things like, if I one day end up pseudo-homeless, I'm not saying that in any way as like, as like a joke. I mean, like, I actually deal with the anxiety of sometimes oh. feeling like... Um, yeah, feeling like if I'm not functional enough with the level of like anxiety or depression that I struggle with, at some point this may be a reality for me. And if it is, I have a lot more confidence knowing that these are all resources that I potentially have access to. Yeah, Vandrelli is definitely a different, is an option for people who can't afford a normal way of living. Yeah. And also, there's a lot of people who just simply choose this, mm -hmm. right? As a sex worker, I make pretty much the same rate as a junior engineer working nine to five. Yeah. And I could totally get a condo downtown if I really wanted to. That's awesome. Right. I would love to have the van drilling separate from the homelessness because I think that's where the stigma seems to connect. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that I've met who are from different kinds of poor families or backgrounds and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. The thing that I want to point to is just don't clump everyone into that bracket just because we're living in a van. Right. That there's a lot of different kinds of people that do van dwelling, just yeah. like there's a lot of different kinds of people that do sex work. Yeah. Yeah. For lots of different reasons and different situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So ultimately just being a little more open minded about folks that happen to do one thing and not just assuming people that do that one thing are all like this. Yeah, it's Whatever just another is. way of living. It's another option. Yeah. You don't have to live in a house or be homeless. <laughs> right, but there are a lot of other options. Yeah. Awesome. So you've talked a lot about pros and cons. I'm curious to talk about um, what, what do you enjoy most about van dwelling? I love the fact I can wake up and be like, do I want to live in Mount Pleasant today? Do I want to live in Commercial Street today? How long do I want to be a resident of Commercial Street for? Right. Just the freedom of being able to go wherever you want is... Nice. Oh, I love it. And I can be up in the North Shore, and I will stay there for, like, four days to a week. And I can call up all of my friends who are in the North Shore, and they're go like... Go for coffee, you're like... Yeah, because they're like, oh, people never come and visit. It's so far. And then I just... I'm able to hang out with them and just be somebody who lives in the North Shore for a while. That's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds pretty awesome if I didn't have IBS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I am lucky. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, that's super cool. And you've also, thank you so much for just like elucidating so much about what was otherwise a mystery to me. I really appreciate learning about all of this. No, yay. We also talked already about hippies a lot. How do you feel the overlap is between van dwelling and the burner community? I don't know about other people, but I find burners are hippies. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. They're they're a different kind of hippie, but there there's a lot of hippie culture that's in that community as Definitely, well. Definitely, yeah. And what what's funny is that as I've changed from the climber community into the burner community and the hippie community, it's it's almost like a social status thing of, wow, you live in a van? Oh, you're so cool. I've dreamed about living in a van or like I've almost lived in a van for so many years. I've like almost pulled the trigger on it. And I never expected that. Right, <laughs> I right. I actually never expected that. There's a, a kind of, wow, you're living the dream. You're actually a hippie. Mm -hmm. And and all the idealism that comes from that, too. Right. Of like, oh, you must have traveled so many places because you live in a van. I'm like, actually not. I've been pretty <laughs> stable living in the van. Right. Um, I don't like driving and road trips as much. And, you, like, what what is it? Jack Kerouac um, on the road. Like, different kinds of, you know, the beat generation and all mm -hmm. of those things feed into the idea of van drilling is this beautiful dream this right. beautiful goal that people have mm -hmm. it's weird <laughs> yeah 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 so suffice it to say like you said before it's kind of what you make of it it's definitely what you, it's just a different lifestyle mm -hmm. 
it's funny how in the conventional society there's all these things to that like people look down at us because we live in a van and then in the hippie community they look up to us because we live in a van so weird humans <laughs> what humans assigning status to things <laughs> okay <laughs> it reminds me it reminds me ever so slightly of class in england or caste in india um i'm just speaking from two cultures of my parents essentially mm-hmm. um but it just reminds me that whole notion of how um you can have castes of merchants and even within one caste everybody has their own idea of what the pecking order is <laughs> oh well you know that person's a fish merchant and i'm a fruit <laughs> merchant or yeah they're yeah. a fruit merchant too but they're a rural fruit merchant and i i sell my wares downtown like it's like we have such a weird tendency as human beings just try and assign status to everyone so that we have a way of looking down or up to people and it all comes back to power dynamics Mm -hmm. and it's funny how when you don't have negotiated power dynamics you just have not negotiated power dynamics (laughs) but there's no living without power as a human being there's Mm. always power exchange there's always status it's really just a question of can we negotiate it and do it ethically yes and if you don't know about it you're still probably living a lifestyle that has power involved in some way. It's it's inescapable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it really is a question of how savvy are you about the power that you exert over other people and the power that other people are exerting over you. Mm-hmm. Something you've probably considered a lot, even just as a sex worker. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole hierarchy from the sex workers who are streetwalkers mm-hmm. to the indoor sex workers mm-hmm. who sometimes will look down to the streetwalkers um, and then there's like the super high-end escorts right. who charge a ridiculous amount and only take one or two clients a month Right. like there's all these different kinds of people and honestly it's just different lifestyles in which you want to choose yeah. right? some of the sugar babies they put themselves in a different class because they have connection in their relationships. Right. Uh, With air quotes, as you, as, as people <laughs> listening probably would <laughs> But there were air quotes. Connection in their relationships. It's just different ways of looking at it. And sometimes in, in sex work, people want to feel better or they have some stigmas on sex work or some kinds of guilt that they're not dealing with. And Putting that kind of power dynamic, putting that kind of hierarchy makes them feel better, makes them feel as if they're they're different from anyone else in the industry. And honestly, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 Modeling, too, as well. Right. Supposedly, models are the lowest on the hierarchy. Really? Yeah. The People try to make sure that we know that we are just the blank canvas and everyone else is an artist in some way right but models are somehow not artists models because like we are we are just there and people put things on us right you're the hanger for the clothing (laughs) so supposedly we're not supposed to ask for things or sometimes we'll get told that like you're being too too much of a diva oh goodness It's also reasonable to have needs and ask for things that your body needs or that right? your mind needs. I mean, like. I've sat in a chair for five hours straight as different people are doing things to my hair and my face. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, well, I'm hungry right now. Yeah. And I know I have lipstick on. Is it okay that I eat? And they're like, it just took me 40 <laughs> minutes to do your... It depends on who's who's sure. doing it, right? Like, sure. the, the makeup artist was really sweet. And he's like, of course, of course, but... Uh, yeah, I've heard some horror stories depending on where you're working and who you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. Humans. 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 Well, I think we've pretty much exhausted all that we had to talk about in terms Wonderful. of van dwelling. Is there anything else you wanted to add about van dwelling? Um, I don't know. Honestly, cuddle sessions are the best in vans. People sometimes ask me, like, how you have partners in your vans. Mm-hmm. It's such an intimate space. It like There's a way where it feels like a little cave or a little burrow. Yeah. And it, there's very something quite primal about that, of yeah. having a dark little area that's very cozy and you have your food here. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, honestly, it's it's lovely. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. also inviting someone into your entire life. Yeah. 
like they are they see all of you and they accept you as a person mm-hmm. that, you know that lives in a van that has a lot of stigma against that mm-hmm. and yeah i do hope as we fight the stigma mm-hmm. more men and there are proportionally more men in van dwelling mm-hmm. to be less shy about it yeah and just be open because it's just a different lifestyle yeah awesome and then i would add the summary you mentioned in terms of resources you move every three days that there are showers at pools that you can find parking and bathroom and parks that there are laundromats as there are for all people that marina wool is great for amazing <laughs> and that public libraries have access to audiobooks dvds internet bathrooms and you can potentially record podcasts <laughs> only in the vancouver public library downtown only in the vancouver public library downtown <laughs> we at, have it pretty good here in at the which city. parking's really expensive <laughs> <laughs> but cheaper than buying a podcasting setup <laughs> <laughs> you can still take the bus the bus is great that's true you can always park and take the bus That's what I do. I work downtown. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. And that's all that we have for you today. Thank you for listening. Thank you. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or go straight to the Patreon group at patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Attribution. The intro music was Unbury Your Heart by Siobhan Decay, and the outro music was Dancing with Fire by Daniel Birch. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks or is highly problematic. I'm open to being called in. I'll probably look back in future and see something I'm not proud of. I'm not perfect. I'm certainly trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. And along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land on which I live and play, the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically those of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, 